Brother Roger's not here, so our scripture is going from Acts chapter 3, verses 11 through verse 26. But to give us some context to that, we're going to read, read uh, verses 1 through 10, okay? And then we'll, we'll break it up and talk about the other verses. So what we've been doing, and if you're visiting with us today, is um, we've been going through a journey through the book of Acts. We started with Acts chapter 1, verse 1, and going scripture by scripture as the word would have it as it's laid out for us. And I want to give you some quick reminders about what Acts is and the purpose of Acts and the story of it, right? It's actually events, historical significant events that actually happen, okay? It's not a letter. It's the bridge between the letters from apostles, Apostle Paul, right? The letters we're going to see um, from James that we just studied. It's the bridge between the Gospels and the letters that would come to the churches and to the people. So the Gospels, the story of Jesus, and there's this gap of events that happened. And then after these events that happened, there's all these letters that would follow. Well, Acts is the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. Um, so right now we're looking and we're bridging that. Because if we're looking at the letters, we need context of who wrote the letters, where they were, what stories had happened and that, that put them uh, in the mindset and in the context they were in to write the letters. So Acts is an important, important uh, book in the New Testament. And it was written by Dr. Luke, who was a physician. It was written by Luke, and you'll see some terminology that's evidence of him being a physician. And just last week, we saw him, the only time in all of the Bible that the uh, actual bones of the ankle bones and feet are ever addressed was last week when they, they were healed. And it's evidence of a physician's mindset of saying these things. At any rate, this man, Luke, and who we've, we've seen throughout many times, he's writing this story as a firsthand um, encounters that he's seen all these things. And he's writing it back as a story that he's been put on a task to write and to send. <coughs> So Luke was essentially a servant, even though he was a physician. Physicians of today's age are, you know, highest paid and some of the highest paid uh, careers. But back then it was, you were a servant of a master. You were owned by somebody and they assigned you the task of physician. You had no, you know, um, socioeconomic significance like it is today. All right. So Luke was assigned the task to go and to write the letter. And you'll see in the very beginning of Acts chapter 1, he starts and he addresses um, Theophilus. I write the first narrative, Theophilus, all that Jesus began to do and teach. So he's writing this letter back to Theophilus, who scholars think is his master, right? The one that pays him, that essentially owns him, essentially. He's a servant too. All that being said, it gives you the context of this being written. He starts the story out where the gospels end. There's some overlap. Okay, there's some overlap. As he starts this story, he's talking about the ascension of Jesus into heaven. After the 40 days that Jesus walked this earth from rising from the dead and defeating death, he appeared numerous times over those 40 days to many people, hundreds of people at one time in many instances, for the purpose of proving himself that it is really he who defeated death. He showed, him scar showed his scars and he proved himself uh, to, to all the non-believers to prove the evidence. 
And after this happened and Jesus ascended into heaven, okay, so we need all this to happen. We need all this story to make all that what we're going to talk about today work. He ascended into heaven. The people were left without their master. They had followed Jesus for years at this time. And they were everywhere he went, they followed. They had visual, a visual guide and a physical representation of the leader they needed to follow. So I said, okay, I'm following him. What he does, I'm going to do. Everything's good. It's easy. And then Jesus is gone. And there's a sense of, now what? Oh my goodness. He's gone. What do I do now? And they get direction. And they get the direction they don't want. They get the direction, right, from the angel saying, go back to Jerusalem. Go back to where Jesus was murdered. Go back to where your master was murdered. For believing what you believe. For doing what you've been doing. So they went back to put their lives at risk. But they didn't hesitate. They were obedient. They went back. They went to the upper room, right? The apostles and the 120 that essentially were with him, other followers. It wasn't just a little group of, you know, 10, 10 guys. It was men and women with him as well, okay? So they were all up there and they were praying. They were essentially scared to death. Doors were shut, locked, no one getting in, right? And then Jesus appears many times in that area. And then at this time, they were praying. They were praying with prayer and supplication. And then the promise of the Spirit, the promise of God would come. And it came upon the men and women, and it rested on them looks, what looked like, seemed like tongues of fire. They were speaking in foreign languages, not just any foreign language, but the languages of all the people who traveled, who made the pilgrimage for miles and miles. 30, 40,000 people essentially were there, as, um, as historians suspect. And when they were given the powerful gift of the Spirit. They went out without fear. No, more, no longer were they scared. They were going out and speaking in the languages of others, these Galileans, who, uneducated folk, speaking in foreign languages which they should never have known. And that drew the ire and the attention. And everyone said they were drunk. You remember that? And said, not a chance. So Peter stood up. He took this opportunity. He preaches. He uses... Old Testament context, he calls them out in his first sermon, and essentially all that he said, he saved <clears throat> through the power of the Spirit, over 3,000 people repented, as he would tell them, to repent and give their lives to Christ. And they did, and they went back to their homes, and through the joy that they had, through the fellowship they would have, through the love that they had, more and more people would be added to their number every single day. That was Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, a summation real quick, okay? So now we're in Acts chapter 3. Days essentially went by, and then Peter and John were on a journey to the temple. And we're going we're gonna to see this, okay? Let's, let's read Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. As Peter and John were walking to the temple to pray. These are converted um, Jews. They're Messianic Jews who are going to the temple continuing the tradition, right, of going to the temple to pray. So they're going to the temple to pray, and they came across someone. Verse 1, now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed every day at the temple called Beautiful, 
every day so that they could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and he saw John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. And Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and he said, look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and his ankles became strong. So he jumped up and he started to walk, and he entered the temple. For the very first time, he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized this is the one who used to sit and beg at the temple gate, at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had just happened. These men and women were amazed. This man had walked in. He'd never been in the temple. He'd been set every single day, as Scripture said, right there at the beautiful gate, the gate that everyone would have walked into, that would have the most people walk by, right? The most beautiful temple gate. So he was strategically there to get the most money from people. So a lot of people would see him. But for the very first time, he gets up. Not only are his feet and his ankle healed, but he immediately is given the ability to walk. He didn't have to learn to walk. He didn't have to learn to dance. He didn't have to learn to leap. God gave him that right there. That's a powerful, powerful um, healing through God and through the Spirit. And now we're going to see some significant things in Scripture as Peter stands up now to give his second sermon, second recorded sermon. And this is just as in your face as what it was before. As I said before, Peter doesn't, you know, he doesn't hold back. He doesn't beat around the bush. And he calls the congregation out. He calls all those that are listening out for what they did. The Jews. Not only the Jews, but the Gentiles, the Romans as well. And we're going we're gonna to see that. All right. So in starting in verse 11, here he is. While he was holding on, he, he attached himself, this unnamed man, this lame man. Verse 11. While he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people were utterly astonished, blown away, and ran toward them in what is now called Solomon's Colonnade. So this is just the, like the porch area outside the temple when they saw him coming in. And it was a gathering place where people would speak and people would listen. When Peter saw this, he, took, he addressed the people. Peter didn't say, y'all get away now. We're, the Lord's work's being done, right? He took advantage of an opportunity. I want you to know that God is in the business of giving us opportunities. We are God's people, and he's going to provide each and every one of us as ministers of, the, of Christ, and we all are. As I say many times, we all have the charge to go, therefore, into all the world and share the good news, to share that news with everyone. God is in the business of giving us opportunities to do that. But we have to be sensitive enough, aware enough, and have eyes enough to see those opportunities to share the gospel. So many times we get tunnel vision doing our own thing in our own little world that all the opportunities that are presented to us are ignored because I got to do my thing in my time. I'm running behind. I got to get to this. I got to get to this place. And we ignore those opportunities. A great example of this was um, Wednesday at uh, a Bible study. And I, I encourage you, if you have an opportunity, Wednesday nights at 630 this has grown into something really good. I love the conversations we're having and talking about the scripture. And uh, Roger gave an example 
Um, he's not here today, and, uh, but he gave an example of him going to um, on a trip, and he was running behind, and he sees um, someone broke down on the side of the road. He had somewhere to be, and many times we do. Many times we don't have an opportunity to go. But it, he, he took, it, he took uh, the sensitivity and had eyes for Christ and said, that can wait, and I'll pull over and help this person. Long story short, he helped that person, shared the gospel of Christ with them because he was obedient, because he had eyes for the opportunities that God gives us. God is going to provide us opportunities if we are willing and sensitive enough to listen to the Spirit. And you're like, ah, when are those going to come? You know, I don't, every day I drive past this and that. If you are praying every day, and we are sensitive every day, say, God, help me to have eyes for what you would have me to do. Help me to see those things instead of being in my own little tunnel vision, as I said, out in our, ignoring everything else. But to be sensitive to what God wants us to do. To see opportunities that God places in our lives. Regardless of what we do, I guarantee you, if you go through this week and you say, okay, Lord, I want to see opportunities. Let me take advantage of those. Those are going to be provided. Peter did the exact same thing. Peter took advantage not of an opportunity just to heal a man on behalf of the Lord and let the Lord use him, but Peter knew that these people weren't, weren't saved by their awe. They were amazed. Look what this just happened. Peter knew that something else had to be done because God is in the business of giving us opportunities, not just any opportunity, but opportunities to share the gospel. Even though these people were amazed, even though these people were blown away, they weren't saved yet. They weren't saved yet. And Peter knew. He's in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says this. It says, faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. So we know that uh, alone an amazing opportunity of somebody showing love, we could be the most loving person ever, but unless we share the truth of the gospel, how do they know the truth of the gospel? It doesn't magically get transferred from mind to mind. We have to share it, and we have to share it with our words to one another. Peter knew this, so Peter took advantage of this opportunity, and he shares it with the people. And he's, here's what he says, Okay. A crowd comes. Here's this man. What in the world? This has guy been, for 40 years, he's been here every single day, and now he's up, running, leaping, dancing, doing things that he shouldn't be doing. This is a miracle. This is something awesome happening, and I want to be a part of it. So I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity to see what's going on. So I can go and share what I just saw, right? So here's what he does. He takes advantage. He says, why are you amazed at this? Fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we have made him walk by our own power and by our own godliness? He sets the story straight real quick. He says, why do you stare? Why do you marvel at us, as the translation says? His point in this is simple. What Peter says is simple right here. He says, it's not me. It's not us. Quit looking at us as if we're all powerful and almighty and you're just amazed at what we did. It is all Jesus. It is all, it is, it is Jesus. He's pointing to Jesus to give Jesus the glory. 
Because in the context of our world, when we see something like that, it's it's an amazing miracle. Wow, this is this is amazing. But Peter says, "Why are you amazed? This is commonplace for God. This is what God does, not what we did, but what God does. And through the power of God, amazing things happen. It's nothing out of the normal." He says, "Why are you amazed?" as though we did it. And then here's what he says. The God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, and the God of our ancestors. And I want to say that that kind of throws people off when they first read, oh, what what in the world? I'm, I'm trying to focus on this story, and they're bringing back all this. He's clarifying that, especially in our modern day, too, for us reading this, there are all these different Uh, thoughts of gods, of different gods, of gods, of uh, who God is in our own little stories, our own little visions of who God is. And he clarifies, this God is the God you've been studying. This is the God of our Bible, okay? The God of our Bible, not the worldly God, but the God that did the amazing things in the Old Testament that you study and that you know, this very same God, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus. Okay? The greatness of this whole sermon that we're seeing Peter say, this is all words from Peter, it's, it, the greatness is this, is that he keeps pointing to Jesus. He, it, it's so easy to say, because I did this, these things happen. Because I prayed about this, because I followed Jesus so much, because I was so obedient, because he chose me. No, he keeps pointing back to Jesus. Because of his glorified servant, Jesus. And some translations will say suffering servant. And it's a reference to Isaiah and the prophecy of the suffering that he's going to face. Because of he has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you, look what he does, okay, whom you have handed over and denied before Pilate, though he had decided to to release him. Look what he's doing, okay. He's, He's calling us out. He's calling them out, okay. He's saying... You are the murderers once again. Just like he did in his first sermon, he said it's because of you that Jesus died. You're the one that chose Barabbas to be released. The thief, the robber, the murderer, you chose him to be released when Pilate wanted Jesus to be released. Pilate said, okay, I'm just going to choose Jesus and I'll choose the worst guy I've got, Barabbas. There's no way they're not going to release Jesus and that kind of gets me off the hook. But instead chose Barabbas. They chose Jesus to die. They chose Jesus to be crucified. It says, you denied the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. How are you going to win somebody to heaven if you're not loving them? This is called love. This is called real love. The truth. Love through the sharing the truth is even though the truth hurts. It says, you killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. So let me ask you, who was it that killed Jesus? Who was it that killed Jesus? I don't care. You ain't wrong. Yeah. Who was it? In this, in this instance, at first we're going to say the Jews. He's who he's talking to, right? The Jews are responsible. Well, the Jews told the Romans, the Gentiles, and they killed. Who's responsible for killing Jesus? And we always want to point to those things, 
But every one of us, and I've seen many of you say, quit pointing the finger. It's us. All of us are responsible for the death of Jesus. And we can go back and say, well, they wouldn't have crucified him if this, and then that, and it's kind of a political thing. And no, it's all fulfillment of prophecy. It is all fulfillment of truth, and it is all because of us. Because of our sins, Jesus died on the cross. Because we are loved that much. Because we are loved that much. So I'll say this, is that Peter, Peter is telling not just them, and not just in a historical context, as we go back to James over and over again, this is directed to us. These are the living word of God speaking to us. And we're to see ourselves in this scripture. So to see ourselves in this scripture, we need to sit back and imagine that we are in this area at, at Solomon's Colonnade in the temple listening to Peter speak, and we are in the crowd. And he is standing in front of us pointing his finger at us because we are the guilty ones. Because we are guilty, and he is pointing at us. Yet that makes us hurt a bit, especially the man we love, the man we admire, God in the flesh, whom we, you know, set as a role model for our lives, and we're responsible for murdering him, how dare you? That would be the approach we have. But yes, absolutely we are, and that's why we should love him that much more, because it's because of us that he died. We are the guilty ones. We are the guilty ones. By faith in his name, verse 16 by faith in his name, his name has made this man strong. And they're giving, pointing back to Jesus again, whom you see and know. So that faith that comes through Jesus has given him his perfect health in front of you all. And now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance. He's not justifying the choices they made for calling out and choosing Jesus instead of Barabbas to die. Okay, But he's saying, you just didn't know. You don't know, and you still don't fathom the importance of this, just as your leaders also did. And that, in this way, God fulfilled what he had predicted through all the prophets, that the Messiah would suffer. Therefore, and then he goes on and says this, repent. Repent. Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out. As he did in the second, or in his first sermon in Acts chapter 2, he calls on everyone in the crowd to repent. Not just feel sorry, right, as we know what repentance is, but to turn back. And in this, in this, look what Peter does with the word repent. He makes repent not this thing of fear and say, oh gosh, I should turn back away. But he flips it and he turns repentance into a word of hope. Peter turns repentance into a word of hope. And we put this negative connotation of repentance because I must be doing something wrong. But no, turning towards a direction that is so good is what repentance is. Turning away from our sin. Repentance and be converted. Repent and be converted. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a brand new creation. He is a brand new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Repent and turn around. Repent and convert to be converted is to be changed, to turn to change and to be made new. And Peter calls us to stop living on the edges 
of repentance. Stop living on the edges of conversion, of turning away from your old life. I'm going to live my old life, but I'm going to take Jesus along with me to make my old life and my current life okay and feel better. That is not repentance. We throw Jesus in our back pocket and say, I'm going to take you along with me. When I need you, I'm going to pull you out. That is not repentance. But so many of us do it and are doing it right now. To repent is to do a 180, to turn away from the old, and to commit to something brand new that is that is instilled with hope. And Peter makes this known. Yes, you are the murderers. Yes, we are the murderers, and we are the guilty ones, but there is life so much greater if we turn in the direction of greatness. He says that seasons, look what he says in verse 20. Seasons, and I love the way this sounds, seasons of refreshing. Refreshing. To be refreshed, to be cleansed, complete seasons, not, not minutes, but seasons of reflections, refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send Jesus, who has been appointed for restoration of all things, which God spoke about through his holy prophets in the beginning. And then he, he, references, he references Moses. He said, the Lord your God will raise you up, up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers and sisters. You must listen to everything he tells you. And everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from the people. So he's saying, look, you remember, this is what you've studied. This is it. And he says, in addition, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those after him have also foretold these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant of God that made your ancestor, saying to Abraham, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. God raised up his servant. Send him first to you to bless you by turning each one of you from your evil ways. In this message, in this sermon, once again, Paul's referencing Old Testament. Paul's referencing everything that these Jews and Gentiles essentially have studied. And they know that confirms, okay, you're right, I'm guilty, but now what? Not you're guilty and you burn and that's it. Peter is not, is not damning everyone to hell by getting on there and saying these things. Peter is offering hope. Peter is not this judgmental, how dare you. Peter is loving. We think love is all about the nice and positive things and the, 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 the flowers and rainbows as long as everybody feels good, everybody's all right. That's not what being a Christian is. God calls us to say things to people even when it hurts. God calls us to call out the shortcomings, the sins that we have, that we can repent and should repent and must repent from. And if we do, there is hope. So I know today, as Peter has called the Jews and the Gentiles out in that temple, we are right there with them, church. And if we are not seeing ourselves in the crowd right now, we are not being the Christian, we are not being the obedient, study studious person of Christ that we called to be, to see this word as words to us. Are we guilty? Absolutely. Is there hope? Thank God, yes. Because Jesus died for us. So church, I want you to know right now, if you're living on the fringes of repentance, stop that. Fully repent or else is what it is. To fully repent is to fully turn from your old ways. Commit to change. Commit 
to, to redirecting your life to God's glory. And the only way to do that is to fully admit that we're sinners. That I'm a sinner, and even though I think I know what's right, I'm wrong. Even though I feel like I'm doing the right thing, if God's not in it and pointing me in the direction, it's worthless. Every little thing we do, we seek his glory. As Peter did, pointing back to Jesus. Are we pointing to Jesus in everything? Are we pointing to Jesus in everything? We're getting ready to worship together. And Candy, will you get, go tell Brock to come up. We're going we're gonna to worship together. We're going to sing a song of praise and worship. And as we do this, I challenge you today to not simply say, okay, the sermon's over, let's go on with my day. But say, okay, I was in that crowd. I'm listening to the word of God speak to me. Am I as repentant as I should be? Have I been and can I be more? Our prayer should be, God, I turn, I commit, help me to commit more to what you would have me to do. It is a daily surrender. To be a Christian, you know, it's not an easy thing, but it is a daily commitment and a daily surrender. And in this moment, today, right now, as we worship, let it be through surrender. To surrender to God and what he would have for us. Because we are guilty, but thank God, there's this thing called grace. And that grace covers every sin, every sin that we have. Let me pray for you right now, and then we're going to worship together. Let's pray. Father, today, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we know we are loved in spite of all our shortcomings, in spite of us being the ones that have put our Savior, our Messiah, Jesus, on the cross. Father, we should feel and we should put ourselves in the role of those that have pointed him to die. And if we do that every single day, realizing that it's because of our sins, that he died, but because of his love for us that we are forgiven. Every single day, let us approach life in such a way of surrender, in such a way of embracing this love, that we can't do anything but have eyes for others to share this truth with everyone, to be so joyous that we don't care what anybody thinks, that we're sharing Jesus with all those we come across. Let us draw eyes, draw attention like the healed man did to the glory of Christ and always point back to you. God, you are so good. Help us to never lose sight of that. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we do pray and we lift him up. Amen and amen.